This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorn startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hello everybody and welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. We are still here at Finnovate in London and we have seen so many interesting companies pitching, doing their demo, but also very nice panel discussion and keynotes. And uh, as you can see, I'm here with my uh, next guest, which I'm going to introduce you with a couple of words and then we go straight into the interview. So as former head of PR at Bank and having worked as a trusted communications advisor to numerous influential entrepreneurs over the years, she knows how to build, visualize and convey stories of fast growing tech companies with Bank's audacious mission to radically change the banking industry as a prime example. I'm really happy to introduce you Bianca Swartz from Bank, indeed. So Bianca, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for having me, it's great to be here. You have actually such a great name because I'm Italian, so yes. I know what Bianca means and I also lived a lot in the Netherlands, so I also <laughs> know what Swartz means. Yeah. <laughs> That's great, like black and white. Yeah, you're one of the the first to mention, uh, to, to notice, oh, yeah, nice. no, not many people notice that. Yeah, indeed, my name is uh, White Black. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's really amazing. When I when I read it, I was like super cool. So, how is the conference for you? You just uh, went off stage, which was great. So, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, how was the whole experience at Finnovate? Uh, so far, so good. Uh, like you said, I was just on stage with David. Uh, had a great chat. Um, that's all my experience so far because I flew in last night. Uh, so I'm excited for the rest of the day, uh, but so far so good. Great, nice. So I have also to make a confession to you. Oh, I am I um, a really happy bank customer. Are you? From six years actually. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I arrived in the Netherlands, it was the first bank that everybody told me, yeah, you should go there because the service is simply amazing. So let's start from that and could you tell us a little bit about the mission of Bank and what yeah. differentiates it from all the rest of uh, neo banks in Europe? Of course, I'm very happy to hear that by the way. Yeah. I'd love to hear a bit more later about why you love it, yeah. but um, we'll do that later. Um, so about Bank, um, I'll take a couple of steps back to um, talk a bit more about where we started and, and where we're coming from. So we started just after the financial crisis of 2008, which is quite relevant this week as well, if yeah, seeing course. similar things happen. Um, so at the time, uh, our founder and CEO of Bank, uh, Ali, um, he looked around and he saw a lot of his friends being affected by the financial crisis. Uh, his friends couldn't get a mortgage anymore or they, had, they were forced to sell their houses or entrepreneurs, um, yeah, well, they could no longer get a loan to, to build their business. And he was looking around, he wasn't working in the banking industry, he's a tech entrepreneur. Uh, he was looking around and he saw these people finger pointing, right? Blaming one another and surely someone's to blame, but he just wondered why is nobody fixing the actual problem? So he thought, I'm going to build a bank. 
as a perfect tech guy, yeah, exactly. looking at the, at the solution <laughs> of like, the problem. There's a problem, why is nobody building a solution? Um, so that's what we did. Uh, we founded Bunk and we really wanted to bring diversity to an outdated sector and make it revolve around its users again. Um, so we do that by listening to our users once a meet and building a product, um, an experience and a business model that reflects that. And there's many ways in which we do so, but I think in, um, and in uh, like a, a good example, and I think you're a good example of that segment as well, is uh, international people. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of international people that just expect their bank to enable them to live that international lifestyle rather than them worrying about their finances, right? So basically what we're doing now is we're building uh, the first global neobank for digital nomads and international people and businesses. Oh, that's really nice. Nice to know. Um, so I told you that I, I lived a lot of time in the Netherlands and uh, um, when I arrived there actually, I had this colleague of mine that was uh, simply crazy about bunk. That's why he suggested it to me. So, yeah. So what he told me actually, and I, I don't know if it's actually true, but you can confirm it to yeah. me. He was like, so bunk approach, it's completely different from the other banks. Yeah. Um, because what he told me is that they actually don't employ people from the banking sector, yeah. but from Oreca or, you know, yeah. hospitality mm -hmm. of the hospitality sector, yeah. because their focus it's customer first. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this should be my bank, let's say. So is this actually how it works? Uh, how is this approach on really customer focus uh, yeah. uh, approach that you have? Yeah, that is true. Um, I can't claim that we don't hire anyone from the banking <laughs> industry, course, especially now not that we're growing. <laughs> we is, have a lot of banking. Which is actually a relief, yeah, honestly, <laughs> exactly. because you still manage my money. So. Exactly. We have a lot of banking to do, so people yeah. need to know things. But in general, uh, having worked in the banking industry is not a pro in your, um, your job interview at Bank. Uh, people who work in tech indeed uh, join us. So indeed, we're focused on um, building a product that people love to use. And we want to, like I said in the, in the intro, we want to bring diversity uh, to this outdated sector and diversity in, in many different aspects. So diversity of people, uh, so not, yeah, at the traditional banks, there was all the same people working there. Uh, diversity of products, traditional banks were just offering the same service. You could swap the logos and you'd yeah. be like, mm, not sure about the differences. Um, but also diversity of business models. Um, I, I said it on stage just now as well. I always like to uh, compare it to a car salesman. So a car salesman, what, what they do is they buy a car as cheaply as possible, sell it as expensive as possible and really focus on getting the best margin uh, on that. And that's the same how banks work. Attract your money cheaply as possible, set it out in loans as expensive as possible. And people working at banks or this car salesman, uh, as an example, is not a bad person, uh, but what they're focusing on is a, a direct consequence of this business model. They're not focusing on the user, they're focusing on getting the best margin. So we really wanted to bring diversity to that and bring a new business model. Um, so what we did in 2017, I believe, when you were already a user, I think. Yes, I was, I was. <laughs> we introduced a subscription-based uh, model. We were the first to do so um, because we had a very simple conviction. We thought if you build a product that people love to use, they're willing to pay a fair price for it. And then um, your commercial reality is directly aligned with user happiness. And um, what it comes down to then is that you can only be successful if your users are happy. Um, and I'm happy to, uh, to say that it paid off our yeah. approach because we just, uh, I think you mentioned it just as well, or maybe it was on stage, we just uh, reached uh, profitability. 
Oh, nice. That, congratulations. Thank That's you. very, very great news. And I want to touch base on another point with you because I've seen from a recent survey yeah. uh, that you found out that Gen Z and millennials are increasingly valuing location independency and borders access uh, to financial services. Yeah. Um, everybody's talking about uh, Gen Z, millennials, and the way we are um, approaching the financial services. We want a completely seamless uh, uh, experience, frictionless uh, uh, experience, and so on. So how you at Bank, uh, uh, are you able to tackle these uh, uh, needs, and uh, especially for these two categories? Yeah. Um, it's funny you say how we approach finances, right? But yeah. I think we'd rather not approach it at all. We'd rather exactly. just stay away from it and live our lives. Um, so, like you said, we focus on uh, international people or digital nomads. Uh, people that just want to work from anywhere and expect their bank to enable them to live yeah. that lifestyle. I think you're a prime example of that. You just told me that you lived in the Netherlands as well for a while and originally from Italy. And um, especially in Europe, that's interesting because, for example, if you want to live in the Netherlands for a couple of years, um, then back to Italy, maybe you want to go to Spain. We all have different IBANs in different countries, right? Um, and when you rent an apartment, very often you still need a local IBAN. Yeah. And people that, uh, that live in Spain and then in Italy, then in Germany maybe, they just expect to have access to financial services like a local. And that's what we uh, provide them with. So when you land at the gate, actually now at this very moment already, you can uh, open a, a Spanish IBAN or a German IBAN and already you will be ready to, to go to the country that you want to go to. So we're really focused on finding out, okay, what is it, what are these barriers and, and blocks that we can remove so people can actually live that lifestyle. I think um, what another good example is, is me last night. I flew in uh, from Amsterdam and uh, arrived here in the UK. Um, I have my pounds account, I have a euro account, I have a USD account, all kinds of accounts, which is great. Um, but what we built in the app uh, made sure that I didn't have to think about, oh, I'm in London now, now I need to pay in pounds. So I arrived, I had to buy a train ticket. Um, and as soon as I entered my card, the bank app detected, hey, you're in she's, London. She's not in the Netherlands yeah. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> she's in London. She probably doesn't really feel like paying a lot of conversion uh, yeah. fees and, and whatever. Let, let's just let her pay in pounds. And it automatically deducted it from my pound account. So these things uh, really um, just enable you to live the life that you want instead of you worrying about, okay, how am I going to pay? How am I going to access to this, etc. Yeah, definitely. And, and you made me remember that when I opened my bank account, uh, um, it was actually because all, I will not mention the traditional bank that I was, uh, that, that I walked in before, we, we no <laughs> speak <of> that. <laughs> before opening a bank account. But uh, I remember that I did that actually, because the procedure was so frustrating and so long and you know i was i was at the university so i really needed a quick solution to my problems uh, open a bank account rent an apartment and so on so exactly. it was really the easiest option and yeah. uh, the, the super uh, frictionless one yeah so. and exactly what you just mentioned that experience that you that non-pleasurable experience is a direct consequence of that business model that we spoke yeah. about earlier, right? That's not the focus, your experience. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, at the end, I would have opened a bank account in, uh, in that traditional bank because it was, I mean, it, I mean, European Union, yeah. a citizen. Uh, so it was not a big problem, exactly. But still, the fact that it was not that quick 
put me in a position of saying, hey, probably it's not the right solution for me. So this, I think, it's a, it's it's quite important, uh, quite important factor. Um, another question uh, I want to ask you is about sustainability. Yeah. Um, it's funny because within the app, the bank app, yeah. um, I also see without even noticing that I am uh, um, uh, planting trees for yeah. every transaction that I make. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And it, it's really interesting because uh, uh, it happened to me at the end of the year that I saw the total amount. And it was funny because I was like, so I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, yeah. at, at the first uh, uh, see I was like, my God, like yeah. I spent, I, I could have saved those money, you know? Mm -hmm. But then I was also like, okay, did this uh, money impact seriously on my life? No, so I mean, yeah. I could actually spend them. But if I had to spend them as a whole, I wouldn't yeah. have done that. Yeah. So it was like, I was happy that I could make good without even notice that mm -hmm. and then realize it at the end of the year. So this is a, just a, a basic example, but maybe you could tell me what at Bank you are doing regarding sustainability more in general. Yeah, of course. Um, well, in essence, we are a very sustainable company because we're a tech company. Yeah. So uh, paperless, uh, everybody bikes yeah. to the office, Amsterdam. <laughs> um, but we also were thinking because we were um, talking to our users and not they're not just looking for a borderless lifestyle, they're mm -hmm. an, an independent lifestyle, but they also care about having a positive impact on the planet, but they'd rather not be too focused on, on finding out how to do so, right? Yeah, Which exactly. is fair enough, we're busy. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's weird to say, but it's like, uh, yeah, you, you need someone to push that, uh, that, that choice probably. Exactly, so we thought, how can we enable them to make a positive impact on the planet without it being an effort for them? So basically what we do, uh, we do multiple things, but the example that you just gave is for every 100 euros spent, we plant a tree on your behalf. So just by living your life and spending, you're actually contributing to a, to a greener world. But in any new product that we uh, introduce, we, we keep sustainability into account. We uh, have green investments. And what's really cool, actually, because it's not just being sustainable. It's also uh, the diversity that we talked about earlier. We wanted to also bring diversity of choice into the banking, in the banking sector. So um, what we have at Bank is called freedom of choice. You can actually decide where your money is invested. Um, so instead of assuming that everybody wants it to be in green investments, which is largely always the case, but instead of assuming it, we just ask our users, hey, what do you want us to do with your money? And uh, we invest it accordingly. Definitely, that's great. Um, keep talking about diversity. I also have a question for you about yeah. your role within the financial sector, because what I see in this conference, it's yeah. actually Amazing, there are so many women on stage. Yeah, I noticed that too, which is worrying that I noticed, but that's a side. Yeah, yeah, that's also true. Um, but it's a fact that uh, there are not so many women in the financial sector. Actually, I think there are a lot of women in the financial sector, is that it's always the same closed circle of people. So many times it's difficult to get them on stage, let's say. Yeah. Um, so what's your experience in that personally and also uh, for your work at bank? Um, it's different, I think, um, because what we spoke about earlier, Bank is a tech company. So um, we have a very, uh, we're, we, we are built like a tech company, yeah. right? Um, who you are, where you come from, uh, your gender, uh, background, um, orientation, it doesn't matter. We just want you to join 
and make an impact, right? So also our, uh, during our recruitment process, um, these things are not even a question. You do a little test, so everybody has the same Just equal opportunity. Equal opportunity, yeah. show us what you got. The fact that you have 30 years of experience, don't bother me. <laughs> show me what you can <laughs> yeah, deliver, exactly. right? So at Bunk, and, and this is gonna sound biased, and it probably is because I worked there, I haven't felt like that. Um, I did work in the financial sector uh, when I was younger, and there I did experience it. Uh, but I think it's partly, of course, there's things that need to be changed. Uh, organizations like this, I think this, this event is a great example of just, I'm not sure if there's a policy, but there's probably a proactive policy to invite more women. And that's the only way that we can stimulate that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the only way forward, and I'm not going to put the blame on the women itself, but it's also partly just stand up and uh, believe in what you're doing. Yeah, that's, that's also very true. I mean, uh, many times it's more like we make a step back because we don't like want to, I don't know, it's, it's really like probably a, a matter of attitude also from our side, definitely. Um, I have one very last question for you, Bianca. Um, what's the future of bank? I mean, uh, how are you going right. to see? <laughs> definitely, that's for sure. Yeah. Also because you owe my money, so for sure exactly. it's going to be bright. <laughs> But yeah, maybe let's tell us what's your roadmap for the next uh, five years. Yeah, so um, just to bring it back to where we came from. Um, so we did it the other way around as other challenges, right? Where they grew and then now are like, oh, we need to also turn a profit. Yeah. We did it the other way around, build a, a sustainable business model and really focus on the product. And now we're at a point where we have this, well, it's never perfect, but we have a great product market fit and it's time to start scaling up significantly. So we're currently active in 30 European markets, uh, but we want to grow further in Europe um, and, and really bring our uh, solution to as many people as possible. Uh, our ambitions are global as well. And um, we're just gonna grow and, and, and share Bank of Three with as many people as possible. And um, other than that, we always keep uh, our releases a secret. As you probably noticed, being a user for a couple yeah. of years, we like it that way. So stay tuned, I'd say. Yeah, that's that's really great suggestion. <laughs> Bianca, thank you so much. Thank it was really me. a pleasure meeting you and interviewing you. So thank you and see you after the break. Do you want to be part of Breaking Banks Europe? Reach out and learn more about the opportunity to be featured in one of our shows. With over 1.6 million listeners and counting, Breaking Banks Europe is bound to become the place to advance critical dialogue in Europe and the UK fintech scene. Reach out on Instagram or Twitter at BreakingBanksEU or go to www.provoke.fm. Welcome back. We are still at Finovate here in London and I'm here with my next guest who is also of course a speaker at the conference and as usual before starting the interview let me read a couple of sentences to introduce you to our next guest. So she is a female fintech founder and CEO leading one of the fastest growing and truly pan-African fintechs. Aza Finance is a global fintech that is accelerating economic growth in Africa through its best-in-class foreign exchange, payment, settlement, and treasury services. She founded Aza Finance in 2013 in Nairobi, and she strongly advocates for the promotion of monetary policy sovereignty in African economies and the reduction of reliance on the US dollar across Africa. 
it's really a pleasure for me to have here Elisabeth Rossiello from Asa Finance indeed. Thanks Thank so you, Elisabeth. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for coming. So, Elisabeth, how is this Finovate experience right now going? Uh, so, you have been on stage, you have to be on stage. What did you get out from, from Finovate right now? Well, it's great to just be with the community together again, obviously. I don't think that the trauma from COVID is gone <laughs> and it's still great to come together, especially in London, which is a global fintech hub. Um, to see everybody, the counterparties, our partners, our clients, all at once. Definitely. Uh, so let's start really from the beginning, uh, talking about Asa Finance, uh, who formerly was, I think, uh, a bit Asa. Yeah. All, right, all right, yeah, that's true. Um, so how did you start with uh, Asa Finance and uh, what triggered you to start a business, actually? Well, I come from a trading background. I used to work in an investment bank. Uh, in sales and trading. And when I moved to Nairobi in 2009, I worked in microfinance. And I saw a lot of the same issues in these financial ecosystems that were developing across the continent that had already caused problems up in Europe and the US. And I was thinking a lot about the foreign exchange exposure. There are 55 markets in the African continent. Yep. Cross-border payments are an absolute necessity. And there was so much innovation happening with mobile money domestically, being able to send money seamlessly without friction at a low cost with mobile money. But then cross-border payments were so ugly. Mm -hmm. And so you had this real dichotomy of extreme innovation for domestic and nothing happening cross-border and even worse than you'd see in other regions. The cost at the time for cross-border payments in sub-Saharan Africa was double that of Southeast Asia. And so I really wanted to attack it from that perspective. What can we do to reduce friction, lower the cost and increase trade? And a big part of that is tackling the issue with the dollarization of the African continent. And in summary, we thought if there were more market makers, if there were more people trading, then competition increases, prices go down, and businesses benefit. Definitely. So uh, you started your business in Nairobi. Um, and uh, as we know, um, working in Africa could be also quite complicated because you know, the instability of the market and all the difficulties in getting different markets up to speed. Um, my question to you is about the challenges that you yeah. had to, to face and how did you uh, overcome them? I think at each stage of the business, there have been different challenges, obviously. Kenya, when we started, was a very stable monetary policy. The Kenyan shilling barely moved <laughs> the first yeah. few years I was there. So it was actually a great place to start a currency business. Um, later on, when we moved to West Africa, it was a different story. And even now, the Kenyan shilling is very volatile. Um, but at the time, that variable at least was put on ice. Yeah. And the issue that we had when we started in Kenya was, of course, there was a monopoly. Um, and they were in ties with the government, and it was very difficult to kind of break into that. So the first challenge we had at the first stage of our business was how to come up against very strong incumbents. Later on, when we got to more competitive markets, we saw the issue of currency volatility. Mm -hmm. And in other markets we went into, we saw low regulation. So I think at every stage of the business, we've come into different challenges. Yeah, of course. You mentioned East Africa and West Africa. Did you see a lot of differences? There's tons of differences across the African markets, even in neighboring countries like in East Africa, where there's a monetary union. Yeah. But Uganda is so different from Kenya. I mean, Uganda is one of the biggest banking hubs for the region. It's very open. It's very transparent. They welcome in new fintechs. Well, that wasn't so much the case in the early days in Kenya. But I think the biggest 
issue is the different legal systems. So you have Anglophone-based legal systems, you have Francophone-based legal systems. That's different regulation, different requirements, different ways to incorporate a business or open a bank account. So I think there already you start to see structurally huge differences in the bifurcation of the market between Anglophone and Francophone. Definitely. And uh, do you see a lot of differences in terms of regulation that maybe have impact also your business and the way you do business in the different African markets? Oh, 100%. I mean, when we first opened in Senegal, there were no other licenses related to financial institutions besides a banking license. You know, they were still doing the e-money license and that was in, you know, 2015, you know, almost, you know, seven, eight years after mobile money was introduced across the continent had become such a success. And we saw some of the highest costs in financial transactions in the Umea zone, the Francophone West African zone. So I think, you know, comparing that to their neighbors in Nigeria and Ghana, yeah. where regulation was much more advanced and there was like a real nuance in the regulation, um, it's been huge. And then of course you have South Africa, which is just on a whole other planet in terms of the regulation and the different requirements they have. So right now, where is your uh, geographical focus? Uh, only in Africa, in specific countries in Africa, yeah. even in other places? Well, we cover all of Sub-Saharan Africa for sure. East, West, Francophone, Anglophone, North, South, Central. And I think we have customers all over the world. So the customers that are buying and selling and trading in Africa are either African or non-African. So to deal with our customers that are, or to deal with our customers that are non-African, we have licenses here in the UK. We have licensing in Spain with the Bank of Spain mm -hmm. um, to provide all coverage across the EU. And we also work with a lot of North American and Asian customers through partners. Yeah, great. That's great. Um, so we see how um, uh, fintech solutions are actually uh, perfectly structured for the emerging markets because many times you see that without fintech solution, people would not have access to the financial services. Uh, how to make sure uh, to um, tackle the problems of people and to get in touch with that group of people from the emerging market? So how you at ASA Finance uh, are uh, reaching out to them? Well, when we came at it with like tenacity and a lot of resilience, and I think it was interesting during COVID because the rest of the world realized what we already knew yeah. in emerging markets, which is that you can't rely on infrastructure, <laughs> you know, and you have to build it yourself. And we already have a company culture that's what we call um, decentralized, centralized, you know, so distributed, co-located. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we have a lot of local teams, but we have a global culture. And I think it's really important as well because you learn the nuances of each market on the ground and how that works. Definitely. Um, I have a question also about uh, technologies. So uh, we've seen uh, a lot, the, 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 right now it's the, the period called crypto winter, um, but of course when talking about digital assets and um, blockchain technology, crypto assets, the emerging markets are quite relevant because we are not talking about uh, simply, let's say, me as a, as a European playing around a little bit with Bitcoins or whatever, but over there we are really seeing an impact uh, yeah. using digital assets. So what's your experience with that? Well, my experience is that Africans are just like Europeans <laughs> and, and all humans. Yeah. And, you know, I don't see a real big difference in behavior. It's not like the crypto buyers of Africa are using their crypto to buy vaccines and, you know, save lives or buy farm animals or something or whatever, no, like the image no, we have no, of no, Africa. No, 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 no. Of <laughs> and course, everywhere else in training. No, I mean, I've, I've been in Africa quite yeah. a lot. <laughs> what I mean, it's more like uh, um, 
for us, it, for us, I mean, it's it, it's something that could really enable yeah. um, uh, access to finance in many cases. Sure. But at the same point, when you cannot open a bank account and so on. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's something I mean, like that. What I mean. Yes, in theory, but in the end, crypto people are crypto people. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. So and like, I, what we see is that you know, what do people usually use it for? Trading. Yeah, you know, no, that's, are, that's definitely And no matter true. how much you tell them, like, you can use this for this great solution. Like, so they, you don't actually see a real yeah, impact I, in other... I think it, globally, there's a lot of work to do in the, crypt, okay, in the crypto okay. space. I think most retail users everywhere are doing the same thing. And unfortunately, they look like the same person. Yeah. They're young, they're male, they're yeah. you know a bit wealthier or have a little bit more money to play with. They have a higher risk appetite. And we see that across Africa as well. Now, the difference, of course, is that the population growth on the African continent is stratospheric. Yeah, and exactly. you know you have a huge demographic that's coming online, that is educated, that is tech savvy, that has disposable income. It's a huge opportunity on the African continent to reach these users. And I think a long time um, we have people come in and other crypto companies come to us and they say, you know, well, your demographic must be doing something different. And no, these are traders just like your regular, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. above the equator demographics. I think that's very exciting. The second thing I would say is for corporates and for counterparty settlement, for sure, working in emerging markets in Africa to be able to trade on a weekend and to be able to trade on a dollar holiday is so essential. Yeah. And that doesn't get said enough, but if it's Ramadan and you know we have a high activity of trading volume, and it also happens to be like Martin Luther King Day or like you know Halloween or All Hallows Eve or whatever, and you have a US holiday, then the whole market closes. And I think that for sure is emerging market specific. Definitely. So um, how do you see the future of ASA Finance then, uh, let's say, the next five years, what's your, uh, the milestones you would, you would like to, to reach? Yeah. Well, we're on track for 100 million revenue. We're very excited nice. about that. We've weathered every possible storm you can think of, you know, <laughs> markets, crashes, crazy companies, you know, weird partners. We've literally gone through it all and we stay very steady. Our business is about managing risk. And I think it's really important to just, you know, stay the course. And we're just excited to be a real company that's on the ground, 10 years. We trade a lot of fiat, we trade some crypto, and we're here to stay. Great, so I, I know you're used to uh, monetary volatility, so I know you, <laughs> you every, everything else, it's, it's yeah, yeah. relaxing for you. Yeah, yeah. All right, Elizabeth, thank you so much yeah. for being in this interview. Thanks for joining the conference. Yeah. And uh, thanks a lot to our audience, and see you next time. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.